Thanks, James and Rachel. So good to see you all this morning. Um, as James said, we're doing a, a little three-week uh, look into Psalm 23, and Holly's talk last week was just uh, just set us off so well. And yeah, do do check that out. Um, and in a moment, we will uh, come to our reading. Uh, I wonder when was the last time that you were lost, like properly lost. Like uh, the, the last time I was lost um, was uh, like really, really lost. Uh, we were in Malaysia where, where we'd been living for like the last eight years. And um, we were going on a team retreat out of the city and you had to drive to get there. And so I was uh, using my map app to guide me uh, to, to there. And I was, we were driving along and I just kind of followed my map app guide kind of blindly. You just kind of put your faith into it and go with it. And uh, I must have... It took us a strange route. First of all, the, uh, the road markings disappeared. Um, then the road disappeared. And uh, I, I kept carrying on following my guide. And it was only when I reached the burnt-out husk of another vehicle that I finally admitted that my guide was not that good. Now, the problem was, it wasn't just me. There was some friends of ours following me. So I had a bad guide and I was being a bad guide to them. And we'd gone so far, effectively, into a jungle down this path that um, we could no longer turn around. So my colleague James got out to try and guide us, only to be confronted by a rather large, rather angry, wild boar. Um, so being lost is not only a horrible feeling, it can actually be dangerous. I, I wonder... Where do you need guidance today to avoid being lost? Where do you need guidance? Psalm 23, it's probably one of the most famous songs in the world. It's probably one of the most favourite poems in the Bible. And I think the reason that it's, it's so popular uh, is not just the fact it's so short, but also it speaks so powerfully about guidance. You know, we, we never grow out of needing guidance. We, we're born and we need guidance in every area, literally to guide food into our mouths. But then we grow up and we need guidance in education. We need guidance along career paths. We need guidance through health challenges. We need Google to help us guide us through the overwhelming amount of information. We never outgrow our need for guidance. But do you ever have that moment where like you're interacting with somebody and, and maybe they're being a bit more tricky than they would usually be. Maybe it's a child who's misbehaving or a work colleague that's, that's uh, being a bit difficult or maybe it's a, um, you, you know, it's a family member who needs a little bit more grace, a little bit more patience than maybe they normally do or maybe you feel like you can give in that moment and you're trying your best and suddenly you realise, you're like, oh, this is how God is with me. This is how God is with me, only I am more tricky to look after than this person and God is more patient than I am managing to be with this person. For, for David, the guy who wrote this psalm, this poem, for him, that moment came as he looked at his life before he was a king, before he was a leader, before anyone knew him when he was a shepherd. And he looked at his life then and he was like, oh, how I am with my sheep is how God is with me. If the Lord is a shepherd, then that means we are sheep. But as Holly reminded us last week, that is not exactly a compliment. He is not exactly fanning into the flame the fullness of our self-esteem with that comparison. Sheep are not that intelligent. In fact, the last time I saw a sheep in the flesh, it was running into oncoming traffic. 
for no reason, no reason whatsoever, just decided to do that. Sheep are nature's natural victim. They are the pinnacle of the evolutionary chain downwards. They are edible to everything, bears, lions, small dogs. Uh, They don't know how to find water. They don't know how to find green pastures. They are often getting lost. And this is what happens when you have a sheep without a shepherd. Uh, This is Shrek, the sheep. Holly introduced us to him last uh, week. Shrek the sheep escaped into the wilderness and lasted six years, six years without a shepherd. This is what a sheep looks like after six years without a shepherd. And he was only found and brought home when his wool had grown so thick that he could no longer see. And he was now so heavy he could no longer walk and therefore no longer escape. And as King David looked back on his life to when he was a shepherd looking after his sheep, he said, that is me. I am like a sheep. I don't drink from good streams. I don't know how to find good pasture and I don't always make good decisions. But the good news is if we are sheep, the promise is there is a shepherd. And Jesus wants to be your shepherd. He wants to guide you today. Whatever you are facing, wherever you have come from, Jesus wants to be your shepherd and give you guidance. But we don't always find it that easy to receive that guidance. And we're going to look at today some of the internal dynamics that make it harder for us to follow him than maybe it should be. So let's have a look at our reading. This is Psalm 23, and it will come up on the screens. The Lord is, I should start properly, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Uh, We've been trying to teach this psalm to our kids and uh, one of the reasons we we love kind of teaching the Bible to our children is it means when they pray, they kind of riff off it and they they draw bits in and kind of make their own versions. And my favourite kind of freestyle was that one of our daughters the other day prayed this, the Lord is my shepherd but I do want cake. Which as well as being terribly cute, I think it's actually quite insightful. Because as you look at these kind of prayers, uh, as you pray these things, it it brings to the service kind of like these caveats that we want to add, these objections that we have, these desires for cake that are underneath the surface. And Jesus offers us his guidance, but there will be an internal resistance And as we look at this verse, he leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. These resistances become visible. Now, at the end of the day, this is simply a matter of expectations. Like um, if, if the situation you find yourself, if the reality of your situation is different to your expectations, that, that's basically the amount of disappointment you'll feel or the amount of gratitude you'll give. Um, basically, if your reality is like this, right down the middle, then but your expectations are really high up here, 
I think the screen might be having a little bit of a trouble. Um, but if your expectations are really high up here, um, but the reality is down here, then you're going to live in the disappointment zone. But if your reality is here and your expectations are down here, then you're going to live in the gratitude zone. But actually what Jesus shows us in this verse is that His reality is so much beyond anything we could have planned for ourselves. We will be left feeling astonished. Now, the first way we tend to struggle with receiving His guidance is with the speed of His guidance. We read that He leads me along paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We struggle with the speed. You know, I often want God just to sort things out, just get me there and do it now. But God takes His time. Now, the reason we can sometimes be in a hurry is that Jesus does have a big vision for our lives. And so we can sometimes think, well, I've got to be in a hurry to see that come about. But that is not the way of Jesus. See, Jesus does have a a vision for our lives that is exponential, but the way he guides us is incremental. He envisions us exponentially, but he guides us incrementally. You you see it in the life of David. Uh, You know, uh, that's why it was important for me not to skip over that first line. It says, a psalm of David. It's important to know who wrote these words so that we can have the confidence to know that they're meaningful. Actually, uh, my friend Jeff was telling me that um, he was with a friend and they were walking past the church the other day and somebody from the church was reading Psalm 23, the words, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And his friend was like, oh, it's the song by Coolio. Um, but actually it's, it's Coolio quoting the Bible and David, not the other way around in Gangster's Paradise. Uh, but actually it's important to know because that gives us the credibility. Like David experienced more grief, more conflict, more brutality in life than many of us. And actually God gave David like exponential promises. The promises given to David are enormous, that he will have rest, that his son will do incredible things, that his kingdom will last forever. But actually all of those promises are either fulfilled at the end of David's life or after his life. Jesus envisions us exponentially, but he guides us incrementally towards it. That, that's been my own experience. Like, you know, when I first started, you know, big part of my story has been getting ordained. And, uh, uh, you know, when Jesus first kind of guided me towards that, he didn't give me this big vision of like, hey, you're going to go and get to be at St. Peter's, this amazing role, be one of the pastors there, be the vicar there. Actually, when I was 20, I just heard the Lord say, push the door now, push the door now. He guides us step by step. He takes his time. Now, this is hard because nothing in our life at the moment trains us to be patient. In fact, nearly all technology is marketed on the fact that you will not be, need to be patient in order to use it. Like my, like my phone, when I make a request, I know that it's got to go from my phone to space, to earth, back to space, to my phone to give me my request. But if it would go a little bit quicker than the speed of light, that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, and, and like the thing is, I also, I know that speeding up won't make me happier because this is exponentially faster than what I grew up with, which was this. Like, who remembers the floppy disk? Like, trying to save a Word doc to a floppy disk. 
error. Like it's exponentially faster than this. And yet that did not satisfy my soul. And I think this is what the Lord's been kind of challenging me on this week. I wonder if, I wonder if Jesus takes his time because he wants us to help us have the space to feel deeply. Like social media never invites us to step back, step away, to think and reflect. In fact, a lot of our engagement with the internet encourages us to rush from crisis to crisis, from outrage to outrage. In the same space, I encounter the tragic and the comic, the inconsequential and the substantial. And it all just comes at you. And I, I, I think... I'm just encouraged to skim the surface of the emotions without ever stopping to think, what does this all really mean? But actually, if you want to be human, if you want to be fully alive, then actually we need to take the time to engage with the emotions, to engage with what the things coming at us actually mean. Like Jesus takes his time and it's not for his benefit. Like he's not the limiting factor in this. It's for my benefit. He takes his time. It's been said that time is God's way of stopping everything from happening at once. And space is God's way of stopping everything from happening to you. He gives us time. He gives us space. Those are good things given to us in creation. And I know it can be frustrating. I know it can be painful, sometimes waiting. But there must be something in it because that is how Jesus works. Like Things are getting faster, but that's not how God guides us. And do you know what? That is such good news. It's such good news because so many of the situations, like the really important situations that we're trying to live into and speak into and, and bring God's peace into are so complex that if you expect them to be sorted straight away, you're just going to be frustrated and disappointed. And so many of the important things are relational. So we can't expect them just to be resolved straight away because that's not the way relationships, like, that's not the way they work, is it? Like a, a family member of ours, like just went through this just horrific season uh, last year, and and it was you know one of those situations you look at and you're like, I don't I don't even know what this looks like fixed anymore. Like fixed isn't even the right word to be using about a situation like this. And but it, it was amazing to see Jesus guide him through it. Uh, and one of the phrases he kept coming back to when letting Jesus lead him was just asking, what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? Because that is where Jesus guides us. What this psalm shows us is that Jesus is not a cowboy who drives his cattle from the back with a whip, but he's a shepherd who guides his flock forwards with his words. And so it takes time because we need time. He doesn't fast track us to the end of any situation with like a, a VIP boarding pass. Because if he did, the implication would be that he only wants to look after the finished you, the future you. But, but, but he doesn't care, I think, about the future you. He cares about the now you. I often think that he only loves the future me when I'm a bit more sorted, a bit more neat, a bit more tired, tidy. But he doesn't love the future you. He loves the now you. And he wants to meet with the now you and guide the now you. I often think, oh, I need to walk over here. And then when I'm here, the shepherd will then guide me from here. But no, the Lord is my shepherd. Wherever you are, wherever you have come from, whatever you are going into, he wants to be your shepherd in that situation now because he delights in you. 
I often think, well, yeah, God loves the now me, but it's only so that He can get me to become the future me who He can actually enjoy. But we're told God delights in the now you. He loves the now you, and He wants to lead the now you. And so He takes His time. The next dynamic that we struggle with is that we resist the destination that He's taking us towards. We're told He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, When I was at school, um, they started offering fencing lessons, aka sword fighting. I was so excited. And I I remember we went to the first uh, session and uh, the, the teacher said, look, when you begin learning the art of fencing, aka sword fighting. He said, we would normally spend the first few months just working on footwork alone, making sure that your feet are are, are moving in the right way, pointed in the right direction, because it all flows from the feet. But he said, because I know you're only here because you want to whack each other with swords, let's do five minutes on the feet and then I'll let you at each other. We often struggle to receive people's guidance because we have different priorities because we've got a different end goal. You know, the, the forefront of our own worries are probably, we, we worry about being guided along career paths or up ladders of success or into financial fruitfulness. And, and I think God does care about those things. Somebody was telling me the other week, they, they needed something to move in their workplace. They couldn't meet with the person because they were, they were in a different office and, and they couldn't get hold of them. They came forward, somebody prayed for them and then they got a message saying, this guy's flying in, clear your diary, he wants to meet with you. Like God cares about our work. But it's not the ultimate thing because one day our work will stop. One day our leadership will stop. One day our service will stop. One day we will stop. But his name will last forever. Jesus envisions our life exponentially when he says that the purpose of your life, your greatest meaning is found in your life when you live for his name's sake. You know, his vision for your life is that he would be glorified, that he would be promoted, that as people look at you, they would see somebody who the loudest voice in your life, the voice with the loudest volume is his voice. You know, and this is good news. Because every place you work for, every country you love, every cause you fight for will come to an end, but His name will last forever. And out of that flows what we need for everything else. Again, this is such good news because it is a heavy burden that our culture lays on people when it says, find yourself, discover yourself, be your true authentic self. It seems encouraging, but actually it's crushing And in the end, I mean, it's futile. I mean, let's be honest. My great-grandkids, let's be honest, they're not going to remember my name. Uh, You know, if they do need to find my name, they'll probably have to look it up in a file if they're having to apply for a visa one day, maybe. But but it won't be on the tip of their tongue. It was the same with King David. This is what um, Paul, one of the first pastors, says about David in Acts. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. That's the greatest leader of God's people ever. And Paul sums him up. He served God, died, and was forgotten. Brilliant. Uh, But actually, I I think that's probably a more emotionally healthy way to live your life. Because if it's, you know, if, if we're living for God's glory, that is something that carries the burden. 
That is something that, you, you know, is good news, especially when you turn your attention to the last way that we struggle to receive his guidance. This is the last way we struggle. He guides me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, we struggle with the route that he takes us. Ultimately, the reason living for God's glory for his name's sake is good news is because part of God's glory is he likes to make friends. He likes to make friends with us. He wants to make friends with you. And God is the glorious God who not only makes friends with the friendly, he makes friends with the unfriendly. He even makes friends with his enemies. And as you live for him, he makes friends with you. And you discover the depth of that friendship. And the amazing thing is Jesus wants to be friends with you and not, not to get you to something else, but because he is friends with you. And friendship with him is not just the end goal, it's the path that gets us there as well. That's what's meant by the word righteousness. Is primary meaning is living in right relationship with God. Now, a right relationship based with Him, not on how good I am or what I've done, but, but how good He is and how much He loves me and how much forgiveness has been made available to me through the cross. And this obviously then flows into right living. You know, it wouldn't make sense to say, well, I'm living in right relationship with Kate, but I don't talk to her. We don't ever do anything together. But, but it flows out of the right relationship that we have with God. We, we don't live in right relationship to become friends with Him. Now, the reason we struggle with this path is that it's challenging. Being friends with Jesus means that we need to be friends with the people that Jesus is friends with. And Jesus is friends with tricky people, tricky people like me. He's also, he likes to be in the hard places because Jesus came to be where things are hard. The, um, the artist Damien Rudd compiled a, a, a list of the grimmest sounding places on earth. Maybe you'd like to visit some of these on holiday. There is um, Mount Disappointment, um, there's Disenchantment Bay. There's one place just called Sad. Um, I actually thought Hove could be on the list. Hove is quite a sad sounding, lovely place, but Hove is quite a sad sounding name, isn't it? Especially compared to Brighton and Hove. Um, <laughs> lovely place, funny name. Um, and to get there, maybe you go down Labour in Vain Road or, or Emptiness Drive or simply Grumpy Lane, which is the road I take towards coffee every morning. The path that Jesus leads us down can sometimes feel like these. Like it's no coincidence that the very next line in the psalm is this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you walk with Jesus and the next thing in the psalm is that we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes it feels like, Jesus, you've led me here. It can be a season, it can be a moment, and it can be easy to ask why, but two things to notice there. Firstly, Jesus leads us through. This isn't to make home there. This isn't to set up shop there. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, but also it's only the shadow of death. If you are in Jesus, you do not need to fear death because on the cross, 
death has been defeated. The substance has been removed. Only the shadow remains. And in the same way that the shadow of a wall cannot stop you, the shadow of a dog cannot bite you, the shadow of a knife cannot harm you, the shadow of death cannot stop you from encountering life in Jesus Christ because of what He has done for you. And when Jesus is present, whenever there is a death, there is always a resurrection. And so as he guides us through this, it makes a difference. Do you know what? As a priest, I've had this absolute privilege uh, of sometimes being with people as they come to the end of their lives. And do you know what? If Jesus is your shepherd, it makes a difference. If Jesus is the one shepherding you at the end of your life, it brings a confidence, it brings a calmness, it brings a hope that is like nothing else. And it comes... Because Jesus is the one who has gone ahead and then he comes back and now he knows that path and he guides us through. What does this look like in our normal lives? Not just at the end of our lives, but in our day to day. Well, forgiveness. Forgiveness is dying to your right to hold something against somebody else. And that feels like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But actually, it feels like death but it's leading you to green pastures because forgiveness is more life-giving than unforgiveness. And simply love. Love is like a, a, a valley, in, like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death because it's, it's putting other people before you. I, I think of, you know, anytime you serve somebody, you're putting them before you. Like I, I think like the worship production team here, like they put us before themselves when they set their alarm clocks, probably with a lot of anxiety, trying to work out, will my phone adjust? Won't my phone adjust? Will I be here an hour early? I don't know, but I'm gonna be here. They were all here to serve us and lead us. That, that's love. Dying to yourself, giving up your lion uh, to, to love other people. Or, or you know, uh, people at Safe Haven here last night, just being with other people, people you don't know, people who are different from you, giving of your presence. Anytime you love somebody, you're dying to yourself and some of that journey feels like walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but it leads to life. Do you know what? Any Christian that you look at, you know, you know these older Christians, you're like, I want to be like them when I'm a grown up. You like, you look at their lives, you'll see this pattern. Like Kate and I were watching the film um, Concussion a while back, and it and it tells the story of Dr. Bennett Omelu, who um, he proved the link between sort of uh, playing contact sports, American football, brain injury, and, and mental health problems. And, and it's a story of enormous personal cost as he stood up to a $9 billion a year industry. And this is what he said. The industry tried to exterminate me professionally. It was difficult. I was bruised and battered and left out in the cold. But Christians, we should know our Bibles and we should be embedded in our faith. When I encountered pushback from the biggest sports league in the world, I wasn't afraid. And he goes on to say, because he knows that the Lord was with him. And the film charts the challenges he faced, but also the constant guidance that he keeps receiving from God. The funniest being that his full name in, the, in, in his original home tongue means this, if you know, come forth and speak. Like, like you couldn't have even made that up. Even before he was born, the Lord was placing this exponential vision on his life that he would be somebody who speaks truth. But what fascinates me about Dr. Armelu's story is that it, it flows out of his own experience of battling depression. 
He said this, I suffered major depression in medical school. I almost dropped out. So when I heard the story of Mike Webster, a footballer who died, I empathised with him because I saw myself in him, an individual who was suffered and who was misunderstood. Here was somebody who'd walked through the valley of the shadow of death and been guided by his shepherd. And it meant that he could go back and have the the compassion to care and the courage to stand up and the confidence to know that, that the Lord would guide him no matter how challenging it got. But the big question is, how do we know? How do we know that we can trust Jesus to be our guide? Because there's so many other things that would love to be our guide. And Jesus basically says, you can trust me because I'm not a hired hand. This is where Holly landed last week. And I just want to circle back because it's so important. Jesus picks up these words from Psalm 23. And this is what he says to us. He says, look, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd sacrifices life for the sheep. All these promises in Psalm 23, Jesus says, it's me. You find them in me as you follow me. And he says this, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't the shepherd. And so when the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. Jesus says, beware of the hired hand. Beware of the advice giver, the the guru, the the, the paid advice giver. Whilst it's not all bad, they're not in it for no reason. And when the money stops, the support will stop. You know, this is the inspirational slogan that, that inspires you until it crushes you. This is the advertising that strips you of your worth and then sells it back to you at the price of their product. Jesus says, look, I am not a hired hand. I'm not in it for the money. I am in it for you. And I'm in it so that God might be glorified. And whereas we only walk through the, the, the part, the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus walked through the valley of actual death. And he went through the worst kind of death so that we wouldn't have to as he died on the cross. And on the cross, he gave every breath. He gave everything he had so that we could know it does not matter what you are facing at this moment. It does not matter what you come up against in your life. He is qualified, he is capable, and he is willing to be your guide. Amen. Why don't we stand? We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. We're told God is with us, and the way he is with us is by his Holy Spirit. So let's pause and ask him to come and fill us afresh so that we can receive everything that he has for us and everything that he has for our neighbours that he wants to do through us in this next week. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love what you do, the way that you do it. We thank you that you are willing to fill us. And so we ask, come and fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. We wait on you.